Amen. Well, like David already said, it is to the name of Jesus that we are looking in our sermon today. And we're looking to Jesus because we believe that, as the sermon's title series says, Jesus gives us abundant life. As you know, I've spent a lot of my uh, life, I've gone a lot of different canoe trips, and I brought a paddle from one of my canoe trips. And for the whole trip, there was a verse, this was long ago, maybe 15 years ago. For the whole trip, there was a verse that just kept coming to my mind and being significant. And that verse was John chapter 10, verse 10. And I actually, you probably can't see it, but I actually carved John 10, 10 right here onto this paddle. The words of John 10, 10 have been significant in my life for many, many years. And it's that verse that's going to be the theme of my sabbatical. As you probably know, for the next six weeks, the church has granted me a sabbatical, a time for rest and rejuvenation so that I can have a healthy, firm foundation in my connection with God, a healthy, firm foundationship, uh, foundation in my relationships with my wife and my family so that I can be rested and refreshed for a flourishing ministry here. Well, as I go into that sabbatical, John 10.10 10 has continued to come to my heart and to come to my mind, and that is my theme for the sabbatical. And because that's the theme for the sabbatical, uh, I also suggested and we decided that that's going to be the theme for the next seven weeks of sermons. Over the next six weeks, uh, different members of our preaching team and guest preachers are going to be preaching on the theme that comes from John 10.10, and that theme is abundant life. I want to read to you now these words of Jesus. And, you know, you might have experienced this in different places, but there's a lot of traditions, a lot of Christian traditions, that whenever the words of Jesus are read, people stand up to listen to those. Because what we're about to read is not simply some words in a book. This isn't simply some words in the Bible. This isn't just some words that somebody said at some time. These are words that Jesus himself God on earth as a man, Jesus himself spoke. It's very likely that he spoke these words many times in many different places to many different groups of people. So hundreds of eyewitnesses likely saw him and heard him speak these words. And because the words of Jesus were so impactful on the lives of those who heard them, those eyewitnesses wrote them down and passed them down from generation to generation to generation so that you and I can now hear the words that Jesus spoke. And many traditions stand at the words of Jesus because standing is a way to show your attention and your honor. So this might be weird, but I'm going to invite you. Would you stand with me and hear these words of Jesus? Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The words of our Lord. You can go ahead and be seated if you were standing. So that last phrase, to the 
full. It gets translated in a bunch of different ways. As you saw here, it gets translated to the full. But in other places, it gets translated as in abundance or even just abundantly. That's the phrase from which we got our theme, abundant life. Jesus said, he has come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And so here's what I want us to think about. Here's what I'm going to be thinking about over the next six weeks. Here's what I want you to be thinking about over the next six weeks. What does it mean to receive, to live into, to, uh, uh, to have my life defined by the abundant life given to me by Jesus? And here's how we're going to kick this series off this morning. First, I want to talk about the word, the Greek word, that gets translated as abundance or abundantly or to the full. Second, I want to talk about the bigger context in which Jesus says these words, that he has come to give us abundant life. And after we look at the word and we look at the context, I'm going to draw just a few conclusions that will ultimately lead to some challenges for you to ask yourself, for me to ask myself, is this abundant life present in my life? That question's going to keep coming up over and over and over. Is this abundant life present in my life? And I hope that all of us turning our hearts and minds more and more towards Christ, all of us might find ourselves answering, even if just a little step at a time, answering more and more, yes. Yes, I can describe my life as the abundant life of Jesus. Not because of anything I do, but because indeed Christ himself gives it to me. So first... The word in Greek, that phrase, to the full or abundant, it's just one word, and the word is perison. If you want to, you can say that out loud right now. Perison. Perison is a fantastic word, and I want to give you a flavor for the weight of that word to the first audience. There was a Jewish historian, his name is Josephus, and he wrote a a book you might be uh, familiar with called the Antiquities. Josephus, in this history of his, he tells some stories about a man named Herod the Great. And you might have heard about Herod the Great. But Herod the Great was wild. He was over the top. He was lavish in everything that he did. Well, in one particular story that Josephus tells... Herod decided he wanted to throw a festival. But he didn't want to just throw any festival. He wanted to reinstate some gladiatorial games. He wanted to have some circus games. He wanted to have the most massive festival that the Roman Empire had ever seen for decades. And so what we get is the record that Herod spent 500 talents on this massive festival and games. Well, 500 talents, what in the world does that mean? Good question. A talent is a measure of weight, probably about 33 kilograms, and it likely referred to a weight of gold. And so if I take 500 talents of gold and I 
calculate the modern, the present day, I just looked it up yesterday, the present day value of a kilogram of gold, what that means is Herod spent almost $900 million on these festivals and games that he threw. And do you know what word Josephus uses a number of times to describe this behavior of Herod's? He uses the word perisone. I mean, so just let that sink in. I mean, we're talking about lavish. We're talking about abundant. Some translations actually say it's unnecessary. It's over the top. It's beyond what is reasonable. And whereas Herod was perisone, maybe in a negative and unhealthy way, what we're going to find out is that the abundant life Jesus gives, the life that is overflowing beyond what we can imagine, it is all good. So there's the word, abundant. And now I want to set the context. See, because Jesus, when he uh, says these words, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life, there's two critical contexts that we have to keep in mind. See, you might remember this, but the gospel authors, all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when they wrote down the teachings of Jesus, they had a huge volume of teachings to draw from. They had lived with Jesus and walked with Jesus and heard him teach these stories over and over. They had probably committed, maybe even before Jesus had left the earth, they had probably committed many of these teachings to memory so that they'd be ready to pass them on. And so when the gospel author John writes down the teachings of Jesus, he's writing them down in a purposeful order so that we might get a depth of feeling of what Jesus teaches. So let's look for a second at the context of when Jesus says he gives you abundant life. First is the context that Jesus is teaching that he is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he cares for his sheep. But contrary to the good shepherd, there is a thief. And whereas the good shepherd cares for the thief, or sorry, where the good shepherd cares for the sheep, the thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you're like me, you might say, okay, Jesus, okay, you're the shepherd, and I think that makes me the the sheep. I don't know how I feel about being a sheep, but okay, I'll roll with you for a second. But who's the thief? Who's the thief? Well, to get the answer to that, we have to back up not just to the immediate teaching of Jesus, but we have to back up and say what came before these words of Jesus. And what comes beforehand is one of my favorite stories in all of the gospel. It's just a fantastic story, and it's about a man who was born blind, and Jesus heals this man. So I want to tell you, if, if you want to, you can go and read all of John chapter 9, verses 1 through 49, but I'm just going to kind of summarize this story and highlight a few key moments. The story starts that uh, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Now, we'll pause there. See, the assumption at that time was any physical illness you have, any physical uh, uh, hurt or struggle that you have, whether it's economic or health, any bad in your life, many people assumed the reason was that that is a consequence of your sin or of somebody else's sin coming down upon you. And we see that assumption because the disciples asked him, who sinned? Whose fault is it that this man was born blind? But Jesus directly contradicts that assumption. And he says to his disciples, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. The way this works is not like, if you sin, then this happens. But rather, the way this works, I actually talked about this in a Wednesday video a few weeks back, if you saw it. The way this works is sin, illness, sickness, suffering, that is not God's desire. But rather, God's desire is to overcome the consequences of sin in this world. And so Jesus directly contradicts some of the assumptions about life. And he goes on to then um, demonstrate just how great God is. See, Jesus heals the man. He gets some mud and he rubs it on the man's eyes and the man washes off. And suddenly, this man who was blind for his whole life, from the day he was born, suddenly he can see. And he goes around telling people, he's like, I met this guy, his name's Jesus. I don't know who he is, but, but I used to be blind, and now I can see. Well, here's the, the problem with this excitement in the man's life. See, it was a Saturday, and Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, nobody is supposed to do any work whatsoever. And if you've been around the Bible much at all, you already know who it is that's going to get really mad when they find out that Jesus healed somebody. Jesus did work on the Sabbath. That's right. It's the Pharisees. The Pharisees find out that Jesus healed this man. The Pharisees hear this man shouting the praises of Jesus about healing on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are not very happy. And so the Pharisees, they want to find out something about what's going on. So they go and they interview the man's parents. And they go and they interview the man himself. And maybe somebody, I don't know if it's the Pharisees or somebody else, they start spreading rumors that actually, no, 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 this guy wasn't blind from birth. It's a, it's a different guy. You can see it. Uh, it. The scripture says, some claimed that he was the man born blind. Others said no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Which I just would love to know how he said that. Was he like, I am the man. I am the man. I don't know. But I think it's this great moment. Because the Pharisees don't like what Jesus did. And so they try to they try to uh, uh, confuse the situation or claim that something else happened. And the man simply says, 
I don't know what you think or what you don't think, but I do know that I am the one that was blind, and Jesus has healed me. Well, the Pharisees are still mad because if this story gets out, they are not going to be getting more Twitter followers. Their social media influence is not going to be growing. This is bad for the Pharisees. And so they come back to the man even one more time, and they question him, and they challenged him. And I mean, just think about this for a second. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself here on earth, teaching, preaching, healing, and the Pharisees don't like what Jesus is doing. If you read through the Gospels, you see over and over and over again, the Pharisees are trying to stop Jesus and contradict Jesus and undermine Jesus. The Pharisees do not like Jesus. So they're questioning this blind man again. (laughs) And he says to them, he said, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And I mean, I could just envision the Pharisees sitting there being like, no, that's not what we meant. We meant something else. Because the Pharisees don't think you can do the work of God on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees get mad. They descend to insults. They say to the man, To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So the backdrop that we get to Jesus' teaching on abundant life, the backdrop we get is a man born blind, healed by Jesus on the Sabbath. Jesus is then confronted by the Pharisees. The man is confronted by the Pharisees. And the man has a choice. Do I give in to the pressure of the Pharisees? Or do I follow and worship this man who healed me? And at the end of the story, Jesus comes back to the man, having heard that the Pharisees have been badgering him. And Jesus asks him, do you believe that I am the Messiah, the Son of Man? Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. It's right after this story that Jesus launches into his teaching about being the good shepherd. Let me read you now a little more of John chapter 10, the verses that lead up to Jesus' claim that he has come to give you life abundantly. And while I read this passage, I just want you to keep the story of the man born blind, of the anger of the Pharisees, and of the choice this man made to worship Jesus. Just keep that in the back of your mind as I read now again from John chapter 10 as Jesus teaches that he is the good shepherd. Jesus used this figure of speech 
But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, we've got a little taste of the word perisone and this lavishness that's associated with the abundant life that Jesus offers. We got the context of a conflict between the Pharisees' understanding of what God wants for our lives and Jesus' understanding based on his words and deeds about what abundant life is. And so we come back to the question. What is the meaning of abundant life? And again, that's the question that we're going to be trying to answer over and over again, looking at it like a precious stone from many different angles over the next six weeks. But I want to draw just a couple general conclusions based on this passage today. So first of all, a negative answer. What is abundant life? It is not legalism. You know what legalism is. Legalism is when you take the spirit of the law. You take the, the heart, the desire, the purpose of anything in life, really, of any rule, of any discipline, of any habit. You take the purpose of it and you sacrifice the spirit of the law in order to rigidly follow the letter of the law. Jesus said in another place, God gave the Sabbath to humans for the good of humans. God gave us the Sabbath so that we might be rested, so that in resting we might grow and have health and have life and have flourishing. God gave the Sabbath as a gift to humans so that humans might have health. And so when rules were created around the Sabbath, saying you shouldn't work on the Sabbath or you shouldn't do this, those rules were ultimately designed to help people flourish. And so when Jesus saw a man whose blindness was likely, especially at that time, was likely a great difficulty for him, it likely meant his economic ability to work and earn a living was greatly reduced, if not completely eliminated. It may have resulted in some significant social uh, ostracization because, as you know, as you saw, people assumed his blindness was because of his sin, so they might have relationally pushed him away. Jesus saw a man suffering on the Sabbath and said, the Sabbath is meant for your good, therefore Jesus healed him. Because Jesus was not chained down by legalism. Rather, he knew the purpose of the Sabbath and he lived and acted in accordance, not with a rigid letter of the law, but with the intended spirit of the law. So what is abundant life? It is not legalism. And legalism is just 
so dangerous. It's so seductive. The church, our culture, in our homes, in so many ways, legalism can always seep back in. And abundant life is not that. Second, what is abundant life? Abundant life is whole life. I mean, notice this about Jesus' healing. Jesus' healing of this man. First thing, when Jesus brought his abundant life to this man, the first result was that this man was physically healed. His physical eyes were physically open so that he could physically see again. And I think Jesus is trying to say that the abundant life has a physical component and our physical health is something Jesus cares about. Second, like I just said, this had massive, excuse me, economic implications for him. This man likely could never get a job as a blind man living at that time and in that place. But now by being physically healed, he was also economically healed. Abundant life has some economic implications to it. Third, whole, uh, abundant life is also a relational component to it. This man was clearly looked down upon because the assumption was his blindness was because he had sinned. And so people wanted to keep him a bit at arm's length. And Jesus said, no, that is not the cause of the blindness. And in healing him and contradicting this false claim, Jesus probably gave some relational restoration to him. And after, I mean, notice this in the story, after the physical and the economic and the relational restoration, after it, then comes the spiritual abundant life where the man's spiritual eyes are open to see that Jesus is indeed God on earth. And the man says, I believe you are my Lord and worshiped Jesus. There's a third concept that I want to attach to this image that we're building of abundant life. What is abundant life? It's not legalism. It is a whole life reality. It connects to every different part of our life. And if I were trying to come up with a word that captured this abundance, I would say it, it's the word flourishing. Abundant life is a flourishing life. Jesus um, used a lot of agricultural metaphors and in John chapter 15, just a little later in John's gospel, Jesus says this about this image of flourishing. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the vine, and if we're connected to him, then we will flourish. I want to give you an image of what comes to my mind when I think about flourishing. I, I try to garden, right? I kind of think maybe the main reason I garden is for sermon illustrations. So here's two tomato plants that I've been growing. Um, there's tomato plant number one. Just take a look at my tomato plant. There you go. 
And I just want you to ask yourself, is this tomato plant flourishing? Maybe you're growing some tomato plants. You can compare your tomato plants with mine and ask yourself, is my tomato plant flourishing? Here's another one. <laughs> now here's the thing about these two tomato plants. First, they're the same plant. I got them from the same store at the same time. I planted them at the same time. I've watered them the same. They're the same plant. And yet one is clearly flourishing. There's no fruit yet. It would probably bear more fruit if I pruned it, but I haven't learned about how to prune tomato plants yet. I will. One of you can probably teach me. But there's clearly going to be a lot of fruit on this plant because it's flourishing. And then another one is not flourishing. It's languishing. I don't think it's going to make it. And I've asked myself, as I'm trying to learn this skill of gardening, I've asked, what happened to this plant? And here's my observations. First, it's in a smaller pot. And I think the pot's too small. I think this plant would have done better in a bigger pot. Second, I ran out of soil to plant it in. And so even though I planted it at the same time, I didn't get new good soil in here. And so this plant is in some not very good soil. Third, because it's a smaller pot and also it doesn't have any drainage, I had the same watering system on both, and I think I've overwatered this plant. And last but not least, these plants are, pots are all in a row, and this plant, I think, is in an area that doesn't get as much sunlight. And so why is it that this plant is flourishing, and why is it that this plant is languishing? I would have to say there's no one answer. But flourishing has to do with our whole life. You have to look at the pot. You have to look at the soil. You have to look at the water. You have to look at the sunlight. You have to look at the whole life. So what is abundant life? It's not legalism. It's about the whole life, and it can be characterized as flourishing. And so what are we going to do about that. If Jesus says that he has come to give you abundant life, and if that's something that you want, I mean, just take a second and let that sink in. Take a second and think about your life and say, do I want abundance to characterize my life? If so, there's a few things we could do. First of all, if I'm going to lean into the abundant life of Jesus, the first thing I do is I'm going to do whole life evaluation. You know, sometimes it can be a danger in the church to think, well, if anything's wrong, the only thing I should do is I should pray more and I should read my Bible more. Now, don't get me wrong. I love praying and reading the Bible. I believe that that is crucial, that is essential, that is just rock-solid foundational part of the abundant life in Christ. But I believe also... Our whole life must be considered, just like the man born blind, there was physical and economic and relational and spiritual all came together 
in his reception of the abundant life of Jesus, so it is with you. We need to evaluate our whole life. Second, as we evaluate our whole life, like Jesus said, we need to do it in a way that we stay connected to the vine. We need to stay connected to Jesus, the one who gives us life. Because anything we do apart from him, anything we do to bring physical health apart from Jesus, anything we do to bring economic health apart from Jesus, anything we do to bring relational health apart from Jesus, anything we do to bring holistic spiritual health apart from Jesus, it's not going to result in the abundant life he longs to give. So, would you, over the next six weeks, consider doing some whole life evaluation? Would you, over the next six weeks, ask yourself, am I staying connected to Jesus as I do it? And if so, I want to offer you a tool that you can use to guide exactly this type of reflection. There's an ancient spiritual practice uh, meant to help people look holistically at their life. Look at every different area and bring it all before God and say, God, I want your abundant life. And that ancient spiritual practice is called a rule of life. A rule of life is not a rule like a rigid uh, set of, of strict measures, but rather one of the descriptions is that it's meant to be like a trellis, like a structure on which a healthy plant can even more fully flourish and grow. See, here's the thing. Every single one of us lives our life according to some pattern. All of us have habits. All of us have routines. All of us live our lives in some way. The question is not whether or not we have a rule of life. We all have one. The question is, have we created our rule on purpose? The question is, are we being intentional about what kind of structure we're building for the abundant life of Christ to grow in us? So here's my final invitation. As I was getting ready for my sabbatical, I started creating for myself a journal, a simple little, you know, booklet folded Uh, And I wanted to create this journal because as I thought about John 10.10, as I thought about the abundant life of Christ, I decided I want to write for myself a rule of life. And so I made a journal that sort of is going to walk me through some questions, through some reflection. It's going to prompt me to reflect on different areas of my life. It's going to prompt me to reflect on what uh, uh, prayer or scripture reading practices, what physical health, what relational health, what emotional health practices I might take for myself in order to have abundance. Well, as I was writing this journal for myself, it felt a little weird. And so instead of writing it like to me, hey Carl, you should, da 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 da, what I found myself doing was I, I wrote it for you. I, I wrote it for the congregation of Centennial Covenant Church. And I got to the end and I said, I'm excited to go through this journal. And because of my excitement, I want to ask you this. Would you go through this journal with me? 
I'm going to spend time, I think almost every day for the next six weeks, thinking and praying and reflecting and writing around this journal I've created. And if you want a copy, right now it's already live on our website. Right on the front page there's a button that says Summer Journal. We're also going to put a copy, a physical copy, in the mail on Tuesday morning so that one will be coming to your house by the end of the week, maybe early next week. If you want a copy and one doesn't show up in the mail, or if you want extra copies, just email the church. Email Katrina, email info at sentcov.org. You can find that all on the website. And we'd love to send you a copy, because here's what I want. I want for me to purposefully structure my life, to create a rule of life that allows me to flourish all the more in the abundant life that Christ gives. And I want you and I want us to be a community purposefully structuring our days, creating a trellis so that we can be sure we're not languishing by looking to the thieves of this world, but rather we are people who are flourishing in the abundant life of Christ. Would you join me over the next six weeks in seeking to find abundant life? Pray with me. God, we confess that so often we look to places that don't bring us health, that don't bring us life, that don't bring us abundance. We confess that some of our habits, some of the routines and structures in our life, they're not healthy habits. And God, we acknowledge that you alone are the giver of true life. You are the one who gives us abundance. So we look to you and say, Lord, show us how we might find and live in the abundant life that you alone give. Amen.